ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. Joining us now as we continue our post-draft general manager interview series, the GM of the New York Jets, he is Joe Douglas. Joe, welcome to the program. How are you, pal? Doing great, doing great. It's good to be with you, Mike. Well, it's great to finally talk to you in a setting like this. Things have slowed down a little bit, although they never really slow down. And today's a big day. As we tape this, we still don't know what the full schedule is for the 2023 season. Do you already have your full slate of 17 games? And if so, will you tell us what they are? Yeah, I think that's uh, kept behind lock and key um, by by the powers that be. So I know that they've uh, they've announced our our Black Friday game, first ever Black Friday game against the uh, Dolphins. That's uh, that was announced yesterday, and then uh, they just announced our uh, our opener against the Bills uh, at home on on Monday night. So a uh, great opportunity to start the season for us. What was your first thought when you saw that? That's how it begins. Big test at home, defending division champion right out of the gates. Yeah, defending defending division champs. Um, obviously, a great organization, uh, a, a team that we respect uh, a great deal, and uh, it's going to be a great test and a great opportunity. September 11th, there's going to be a lot of a lot of energy, a lot of emotion in the stadium, and it's going to be good preparation for some of these other games you guys are going to have. Plenty of big moment standalone primetime games. You knew that surely when you acquired Aaron Rodgers. Is that part of the reason that you did this to help make the Jets an attraction, a destination for the NFL for as long as he's part of the team? Well, I think when we when we brought in Robert and his staff, we wanted to make this a destination for for every player. We we want to make this place a place where players know they that that um they come in here and they can leave knowing that they're they're better off. That they they had a great experience with staff. They had a great experience with coaches. Uh, they they left a better person than when they came in. So we want to we we've always wanted to make this a destination, and to see it come to fruition in some ways with a with a player the caliber of Aaron Rodgers wanting to be a part of what we have going on. Um, it's a special thing. You mentioned that Black Friday game, first time ever. It's different than playing on Thursday. Obviously, it gives you another day on the front end to get ready. I don't know how much you know about the schedule either before or after. And I don't know how much you would tell me anyway, but I'm just fascinated by the overall preparation when you're talking about a game that's never been played before. Afternoon, day after Thanksgiving. You guys are kind of the guinea pigs for what seems like something the NFL is going to do each and every year moving forward. Yeah, it's, it's exciting. And you know, for our, from our perspective, I mean, it's uh, it's a day after Thursday, so it's uh, but it's still a short week, similar to the Thursday games. Uh, it, it's just going to be unique to be playing on a on a Friday, uh, 3 p.m. the day after Thanksgiving. But I know everyone here is very excited. Joe, take me back to the moment after the regular season, assuming it even happened after the dust settled on 2022, when the light bulb first went off 
on the possibility of adding Aaron Rodgers to your team? Well, I think we were at the point after the season where we were looking at many different avenues to pursue um, at, at the quarterback position, adding, adding a veteran quarterback. Uh, as we went through our process, as we were putting our, our tiers uh, together at that position, um, just happened to get a call from, from Green Bay. And uh, at that point, they were still exploring uh, the direction that they were going to go in, but uh, it was just a simple question. And, hey, if we did if we did trade, uh, if we were going to be trading Aaron, would you guys have interest? Uh, so that uh, that created another another avenue for us to uh, look into. And uh, as we as we went through our offseason process, it it it, uh, it was clear to us that this this was going to be the the top person we wanted to add. Do you remember when it was that you first got the green light to talk to him directly about possibly playing for the Jets? Yeah, it was towards the end of the combine. Uh, I want to say the last day of the combine is when uh, Green Bay and Brian uh, gave us permission to to reach out to Aaron and, and have have discussions with him. When you met with him in California, how much of the conversation was you and the other Jets representatives selling Aaron Rodgers on playing for the Jets? Or did he seem like he was already inclined to do so? Well, we didn't treat it as a situation where we're just going to do a hard sell. Um, we wanted to go in and just be as authentic and genuine as we can possibly be, get to know Aaron, um, see where he was at with his career, see where he was at in this moment, um, his his expectations, answer any questions that he would have about us as people, um, us as our organization. Um, but you know, it was, it was pretty quick in the process. He was uh, he was well versed in, in everything uh, we were about, roster wise and, and culture wise. If you happen to be watching our morning show on Peacock or listening to it on Sirius XM 85 today, you may have heard that I was trying to sound out ways to ask you this next question. So you'll know in advance what it was. But I'm trying to determine what the line is for you, for the Jets this year, the pass-fail line for the Aaron Rodgers year one with the Jets? What makes it a success? What makes it a failure? Where's that line that separates the two? Well, yeah, look, any, anytime you add a, a player like Aaron Rodgers, we know that there's expectations uh, going into the season. We're not we're not going to run from those expectations. But ultimately, Mike, like it's 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 May 11th and we're we're going to do everything we can. We're focused on this day. And I know it sounds cliche, but we're focused on May 11th and then um, if we focus on this day, then 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 uh, September 11th should take care of itself. So um, again, we know we know what uh, adding a player like him um, does to the perception and, and the expectation of our team. But um, you know, we're just attacking attacking the day. You've seen a bunch of different quarterbacks in your time in a practice setting. What was your first impression of seeing Aaron Rodgers on the practice field throwing the ball around? Um, it was, uh, I've said this a lot, it, it was certainly a surreal moment to see him walk out with the green number eight jersey um, and just uh, watch him in his uh, signature throwing motion when he follows through and his, you know, his, his, he's got, a, he's got a, a special follow through that and, and he holds it and you watch him throw that first pass and it's like, man, I can't believe he's here. And, uh, look at that ball jump off his hand. You know, so you're just, you're just kind of you're in awe for a few seconds, 
and uh, then it's uh, all right. Let's get back to work. Let's uh, let's get going. But it was a special moment for sure. The trade was a long time coming, and I appreciate the fact that you gave those of us in the media plenty of things to discuss during the window from when he first said he intended to play for the Jets and the deal was finally done. But some of the terms that I'm curious about, the conditional pick for next year, because I said all along, hey, we have a template for this trade, at least for part of it. You just blow the dust off of the Brett Favre terms from 2008 and you apply them here with that formula that took a four to a three to a two to a one there was some reporting yesterday from espn that basically the packers position was we're going to go with playing time only because it's up to the jets to win it doesn't matter from our standpoint what the jets do with the playing time can you give me some insight as to what caused you to eventually agree with a playing time only trigger to go from a second round pick to a first round pick yeah, well, I mean, when we started this and we were talking about the conditions, um, you know, there was a lot of different um, scenarios and proposals out there. Um, but I, I would say, um, you know, you are right to the degree that at the end of the day, uh, you know, Green Bay was very steadfast in that uh, they wanted to make this about playtime only. And so I felt like um, once we got into the into the weeds on on what the playtime percentage could be. We got to a point where we felt comfortable uh, pulling the trigger on the deal. Was there ever a time where you seriously considered walking away? And I guess second part of that, was there a time when you considered saying to the Packers, fine, keep him and pay him $60 million this year. Fine. We'll, we'll wait until you call us when you're ready to unload that, that financial obligation from your books. Yeah, there, there were several, um, there were several points, I would say tenuous points in, in over the course from the from the uh, combine to now. Never, I, I could say never a point where we felt like we were just going to turn our back and walk away. I felt like the conversations that Brian, um, Brian and I were having were were, were positive. Um, and of course, there were some sticking points here and there, but ultimately, ultimately, we were able to get on the same page. But um, you know, through the process, we, we had decisions that we had to make in terms of you know, which avenue we were going to pursue. And so uh, ultimately, you know, we made the decision um, to, to pursue our number one choice and, and follow it through, see it through. Did you think that there was a realistic chance they would just keep him on the team and put him on the bench and pay him all that money just to, I don't know, prove a point or, or to, to show that they were serious in their negotiating posture? Um, look, that, that was certainly one, one scenario, um, that they could have followed through on, um, whether or not we thought it it was real or not. Um, you know, we, our focus was always just, let's, let's get this player in the building. And, um, we know that we knew there was things that they could do. They knew that there, there were some different avenues that we could possibly go down, but ultimately I think we're both working in good faith to get this deal done. Do you think it helped or hurt the process that the Packers don't have a traditional owner? Well, it's a unique situation, right? I think they're uh, they're the only team that doesn't have an owner. But uh, I felt like uh, working with Brian, um, you know, I like I've mentioned before, I've known Brian a long time. And I know, I know the caliber person that he is, stand-up person, high-character person. And... I feel like our relationship, our 
coming up in this business together um, really helped get this deal done at the end. Um, but like, I felt like everything they did was in good faith. Uh, I felt like everything we did was in good faith and we were ultimately able to get this deal done and um, both sides happy. I felt like they pushed pretty hard to get the 13th overall pick in the draft this year as the primary piece of compensation. Did you have to fend them off aggressively and, and convince them early on that's just a non-starter, you're not getting that pick? Yeah, that, that was an important that was an important thing for us to keep um, through these negotiations. Um, and at the end, we we did the pick plot 13-15. Um, um, but it was important for us to keep the first-round pick. Uh, I felt like um, you know, and, and for them, um, it was important for them to have a pick in this year's draft. So, um, you know, I felt like we were able to, to really accomplish what we both set out to do. How do you react to the noise that's out there that Patriots coach Bill Belichick deliberately took not much from the Steelers to let them slide up one spot in front of you once you fell from 13 to 15 to get perhaps a player that you guys would have taken in Broderick Jones? Yeah, that that's just noise. Um, you know, we we were comfortable with with our list. We were comfortable with our rankings. Um, we knew we knew the perception that was out there uh, in terms of who we we would possibly be taking. Um, I tell you that we weren't surprised uh, when it happened. And um, you know, there's there's a lot of different conversations that are happening um, before before and during your time on the clock. And so you know, we were having some some conversations. Uh, uh, and, and and we weren't surprised by by that move, and uh, you know, we were very comfortable in, in following our board and following our rankings and and taking a pass rusher like Will McDonald, who, who we feel uh, is one of the most dynamic rushers in this draft. Joe, there's been some reporting and some analysis as it relates to changes made on the way out the door in Green Bay to the Aaron Rodgers contract, and I've gotten the impression that maybe there's still some work to be done on your end, where do things stand with his contract, specifically as it relates to the possibility that he'll emerge from this with, as a practical matter, a two-year commitment to the team? Yeah, you know, um, we knew that go, we knew at the end of the trade that uh, Aaron and Green Bay needed to work some things out. We didn't know the exact ramifications. It was just important to us that the uh, cap number wasn't going to go higher than it was at the time that we, we agreed to it. And, we didn't know that it was actually going to go down to the minimum. So when they redid the deal, um, you know, we saw the new number, knew that uh, saw that it was it was low for this year. Um, you know, we're still we're still working on um, uh, restructuring aspects of the deal as we speak, but uh, we feel like we're in a really good place. And is it accurate that all you owe him currently, without any further contractual adjustment, is the minimum salary for this season? Yeah, so he, as part of the restructure uh, prior to the trade, he went down to the minimum. So basically the $58.3 million option bonus, all of that got kicked into next year. Everything was kicked into 2024. And the question now is how much of it's going to come back to this year and how that's going to be structured from every standpoint. And I guess within that final resolution would be the clues as to whether or not he's sticking around for one year or two. Is that fair right. to say? Right. Joe Flacco is still floating around out there. You got three quarterbacks under contract. Do you anticipate that Flacco could be back in New York this year? Yeah, we're we're always going to keep the door open um, when any good player is available. 
out there. Uh, Joe's been with us for for a few years. Um, and when his number's been called, he's come in and played played really good football. And obviously, now he's a Super Bowl MVP, Super Bowl winning quarterback. So, um, look, we're if there's an opportunity for for quarterback for any position out there where we can come in, where they can come in and upgrade the team, we're gonna we're gonna keep that that door open and 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 look at ways that we can we can upgrade the the, the group. Joe, what is your hope as it relates to the impact of Aaron Rodgers' presence? on Zach Wilson and his future. Yeah, I think you see the last two weeks, the impact of the entire team. Um, and that's the, you, you see the standard that he sets for himself every day out here in practice. And you see all these players uh, out here. They No one wants to be the, the player that drops a pass or false starts or um, screws up a, an assignment. You, you can see that pretty early. And I think I think the really cool thing, um, as it pertains to what you asked about in terms of Zach Wilson, um, it's been great to see these guys work together. Those two guys specifically work together, and and see Zach just um, be a little bit of a shadow to Aaron, and and pick up on some things in terms of uh, how he communicates with teammates, um, his cadence, just every every small thing. You you see you see all these guys picking up on it uh, in in these last two weeks. It felt like last year the goal of the benching of Zach Wilson during the season was to find a way to set the reset button. This feels like an opportunity for at least a full season reset, maybe a two season reset. And then the idea would be he gets an opportunity to take over the job when Aaron Rodgers is gone. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think I think the reset. And you're right. You know, when we when when the change was made at the end of uh, in the second half of last year. Uh, the intent was for for Zach to to reset and really get back to basics, and that's carried over into this off season so far. And so you know, I've talked about it several times, but um, Zach has an unbelievable ceiling, and Zach is wired the right way in terms of his love of the game, his work ethic, uh, his attention to detail, and so this is a great opportunity for him to to shadow one of the best passers of all time in Aaron Rodgers and pick up every little thing you can from him and and get better every day. And so um, I know he's attacking this offseason like no other. Uh, his energy level is is unbelievable. It, it's good to see him with with huge smile on his face and, and, and uh, really working every day to get better. What's the biggest lesson you've learned for your own purposes in your own career moving forward as it relates to the selection of a young quarterback with a first round pick and the timing for putting him on the field? Yeah, that's a good question, Mike, because I um, I go back and I look at a lot of things and um, things that can be done, done differently, things that were in, in our control, out of our control. Um, and every situation is different. I, I feel like I feel like in today's NFL, when you take a quarterback in the first round, if you take a quarterback high, um, the times against you and you, you, you need to, you need to see what you have so you can make a decision in that four-year window, three-year window. Um, I think going back, um, it would have been great to have uh, a veteran quarterback um, like a Joe Flacco in that first, in that first season. Um, but ultimately we made the decision to jump in head first with our youth movement. We had so many first and second year players, new staff, 
let's go and attack this thing with youth. We know there's going to be some growing pains, um, but we're not, we're all going to grow together. And so um, I think, I think we saw some of the benefits of that last year. Um, but sometimes you don't take into account um, the ramifications of, of playing a young quarterback early in his career. And so I think if I had to do everything over again, I would have probably had that that veteran presence in the room early for Zach. And beyond that, I think it makes it very difficult in today's NFL where every year is its own self-contained team. Everything changes so much from one year to the next. If you're going to use the second overall pick in the draft on a quarterback, you better be ready to play him. Otherwise, you should be using that pick on someone else who you'd be ready to play right out of the gates. Right. All right, Look, last one. Those were all the things we talked about, Mike. We, yeah. we we went through just like just like we did this offseason, we went through every single scenario um in terms of not using pick number two uh, on a quarterback, trading pick number two to acquire uh, more talent, um using using pick two on on a quarterback and keeping Sam as a veteran presence. We went through every every scenario. Um ultimately we decided to really attack the youth movement and and go young and uh, we didn't look back well it worked last year with both the offensive and defensive rookies of the year for the entire nfl in garrett wilson and sauce gardner last question for you which guy of those two do you think has the higher ceiling going forward oh man um it's not just those two mike from last year's class i mean i feel like every single guy in that class has a huge ceiling um, and I think every guy in that class is wired the right way in terms of their competitive makeup, their love of the game, the way they they prepare every day out here on the practice field. Um, you know, Sauce has a unique swagger. His length is unbelievable. Ball skills, his, his instincts, his preparation. Uh, Garrett Wilson has such unique route running ability, um, explosiveness at the top of the routes, unbelievable ball skills, run after catch ability. Um, Reese Hall, who's doing phenomenal in his rehab right now. Um, he's so smooth. It's it's hard for guys to get a get a gauge on him because of his play speed. He just he can hit the hit the edges so fast and run by people. And and he's a big man <laughs> that runs with with uh, great power. Jermaine Johnson, um, who frankly we had a very deep the end room uh, last year and this year. Uh, but when he was on the field, he made a lot of positive things happen. Heavy hands, quick feet, good takeoff, um, can bend the edge, great change of direction. Um, there, there's a there's a lot of guys with high upside uh, from last year's class, and and uh, they're all excited to be on the field together, working working with each other. Joe, I can't make many guarantees, but one that I can always make is whenever I say last question, it means I eventually come up with just one more. You <laughs> mentioned Brees Hall. Give me a percentage chance as of right now that we're going to see him in uniform playing week one for that Monday night game against the Bills. Yeah, look, I think I think we're all hopeful that uh, that could be a possibility. Uh, there's still a lot of meat on the bone in terms of his uh, return to play protocols and, and his rehab. Uh, he's in a great place right now. Um, you know, I would I would say he's uh, he's ahead of schedule from where where he's supposed to be. Uh, and he's hitting unbelievable top end speeds already um, on, on our GPS and, and his rehab. So uh, I know he's going to be chomping at the bit to get on the field early. So uh, we're going to, we're going to have to do a good job of 
protected him against himself a little bit uh, because uh, he's so motivated, so hungry, and, and, and attack and rehab the way he is. So we're going to see we have we have very detailed uh, uh, checkpoints for Brees to hit in his rehab, and we're going to follow that to a T because uh, I think we all saw last year the weapon that he can he can be with the ball in his hands. Joe, this was excellent. I appreciate your time so much. Congratulations on one of the most intriguing off seasons for any NFL team. All the best as we get closer and closer to week one and beyond. Thanks, Mike. Good to be with you. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life. Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters. Both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn on what you want, like trying out that new workout class, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like a foam roller for your sore muscles. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash. Joining us now for a little conversation post-draft and whatever else comes up, our good friend Howie Roseman, the PFT Executive of the Year. He's back in a studio with real... Is that real brick or is that fake brick to your right? You know, it's definitely fake brick. um, But I think the con of the brick, the whole motif really works for this studio. I I think it's a great job they did designing it. And, um, you know, speaking of that, I appreciate your donations to those charities. Great causes. Really cool of you to do that. Um, you know, hopefully we'll make it some annual tradition from someone from the Eagles, hopefully winning some award that PFT's given. Well, I think one of the charities was the Eagles Autism Foundation. And that's my first question. Have you explained to AJ Brown that he should not try to do Instagram live while riding a bike, that he could get hit by a car? Well, it's funny you say that because it reminds me of when like I'm trying to multitask while I'm like riding bikes with my kids and I'm trying to like you know, hit the garage opener at the same time and get the phone. You know, it's it's a hard thing to do, but we're just lucky AJ AJ's good. We just saw him here a couple minutes ago, and um, that's a guy we need. So no no off-season Eagles autism injuries. We came out of it scot-free from those injuries, and, and we're ready to roll. AJ Brown and some other players recently addressed the challenge of basically going back to zero and zero after getting so close to the top of the mountain and having it not work out. What's your concern as it relates to the organization? Having a great year that ended so close and now having to start over again and climb all the way back up. Well, I think you look at the history of teams who've lost in the Super Bowl and and it's not a great 
um, read when you look at kind of what happens the next year. And we know we've lost a lot of good players, a lot of good people from this organization over the last few months. We got to start from scratch. You know, it's a long way to go even before we get to the first game, let alone before we could be talking about um, teams were playing in meaningful games at, later in the season. And so that's got to be the attitude and the energy that that comes from everyone in this organization. You know, I think it starts really well with Jeffrey and the expectations he puts on us and the process we have from him. And then it goes with Coach Suriani. And so, you know, it, it's going to be very tough. Um, we got a tough schedule. Obviously, our division is extremely competitive with three teams making the second round of the playoffs and later. And so for us, it, it's about day by day and doing the right things each day so that we can put ourselves in a good position when we start camp and then doing everything right from there. And I look at your specific experience last year. You guys were great. But at times, maybe it was a little too easy, especially in the postseason, between the blowout of the Giants, the – don't raise your eyebrows, let me finish. The, <laughs> the win over the 49ers when they lost their quarterback early – do you, do you hope this year maybe there's a little more adversity along the way to help the team be better prepared for facing, if you get there, a team that comes out of a meat grinder in the AFC with all these great teams that are vying for the chance to get to the Super Bowl? Well, I would say a lot of the adversity for, for us and our football team last year came through the competition that we had with each other and the standards that we set internally. And so I don't know that there was ever a time, you know, we had a two-game losing streak late in the year, um, I don't think there was ever a time that we felt like we we had arrived or that we weren't facing some sort of challenge weekly and, and the competition that we felt. And so, um, you know, am I wishing adversity on us? No, I'm not wishing adversity on any of us, Mike. I don't wish adversity on you. But do I think in the normal cause of the season that you're going to have adversity and you're going to have something that affects you that you're going to have to come out of? I think even last year you saw that with this football team. And so, um, I think that's a natural part of how long the, the season is, that you're going to have some downtimes and how you work through them. And I think a lot of that goes to the players and the coaches that you have and the people that you have who are overcoming those moments. What was your first reaction when you saw your schedule? You know, it's always hard for me to read into the schedule um, when we're talking about May. So much changes on our football team, on the football teams around the league. You know, when you think about a game that's in November and December, the dynamic changes so much through the course of the year. Now, I look at it a little bit more like, all right, where are we starting the season those first couple of weeks? Because it's hard to go too much further than that. Almost like when you're building a team, Mike, like it's hard. Someone says, hey, what about three or four years from now? Three or four years is a long time away. You know, you talk about week eight, week nine, week 10 to start focusing on that. When we have so far to go to even get to that point, it's hard to do. When you see you're going to New England week one and they've already announced it's Tom Brady day, is that <laughs> something you look at and say, couldn't we have gone there a different week? Yeah. I mean, anything that's not positive for us, I want to happen to another team. There's no doubt about it. We're selfish about that. But um, I think that's one of the things you get when you're, when you're playing in New England week one. And obviously it's going to be a fired up crowd. Great test right off the bat for our football team. And is it better to have your short week early like you do week two? Do you like that and get that out of the way? You can plan for that Thursday night game, or would you rather have it peppered in later in the year? Yeah, again, I think there's pluses and minuses about it. When you have it later in the year, then you almost have like a little mini buy to get through it. Um, but on the front end of that, you're kind of struggling with it. So, uh, you know, I think for me, I'm, I'm a big what is guy, not what if. And so for me, uh, it is what it is, and we'll, we'll deal with it and hopefully have a good process throughout.
season. Last schedule question. You've got the Giants sandwich at the end of the season, week 16, week 18. Do you like that, playing a team that close in time twice? You're going to hate these answers because I'm going to tell you, it's, for me, it is what it is. You know, that's when we're doing it to complain about You either about like things. it or you don't, though. You either like it or you don't. You I don't think about it that way. I, why can't you? I don't think about it that way. You know, I think about it like this is I what the schedule you. is. I think you're, you don't oh, like it. You're calling, you're calling me a liar? Is that I'm what you're doing? I'm not calling you a no, liar. That's, that's early in the relationship to call me a liar. No, no. no. Listen, <laughs> we, we have a relationship that goes back years. I think that you don't want to say anything that's going to create a soundbite. So you're very neutral. And I think you I want think. me to create a soundbite. So yes. you're 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 the opposite way. So we're on opposite angles right here. Okay. Uh, let's talk about something maybe you'll give me a soundbite on. Why did you Probably. trade up from 10 to 9 to get Jalen Carter? Yeah, I think when we looked at it, I, I think one of the things just going back it, and, um, you know, me personally made a lot of mistakes here throughout the process and the draft process and looking back. And sometimes it's about getting cute with picks and, and not really going and getting the outcome that you desired as opposed to kind of being a little bit more conservative. And so for us, um, where we were in the draft at that moment, uh, we felt like that was the right thing to do to get Jalen here. Obviously, we know um, the story and the background behind Jalen, and um, we're not, we, we don't feel so confident in our abilities to know that we, we can make everything right, but we do feel like in this specific situation that um, we have a good environment. Um, we do think Jalen loves football. Um, he wants to be great. And so we're excited to get him here and, and obviously work from there. Help us understand what happens during those conversations. You're talking to the Bears about doing a flip-flop between 9 and 10. Are they laying it on thick like, you better do this, or we got somebody else ready to come up to number 9, or you just kind of left to your own devices to guess whether or not that's what they have behind door number 2? Yeah, I think you're left to your own devices in those situations, and you're you're putting yourself out there when, um, I mean, there are situations where you're trading for nothing, right? I'm not saying it was in this situation necessarily, but you're doing it, and you have to be comfortable with the outcome either way. And so you have to be comfortable with the outcome of, hey, I traded a fourth-round pick, and understanding hey, that could be a good player for your team a year from now, but the same situation, being okay with not getting the player and, and who is next. And so, um, you know, that's not to say we wouldn't have been okay staying at 10 and taking another player. We just felt for us and our team and where we were that Jalen Carter was, was the right uh, selection for us. And then three spots after Carter at nine, the Lions take Jameer Gibbs at 12. Did you have any inkling that they were going to go running back? Because obviously that led to a chain of dominoes that brought DeAndre Swift back home to Philadelphia. Yeah, I, I don't know. that It's hard to know exactly. You hear a lot of rumblings. You're trying to sift through it uh, throughout the draft process and, and get a sense of it. I think what you felt like was uh, there was a lot more love in the league for Gibbs than maybe was portrayed um, in the mock draft community. And so um, obviously everyone's looking for game-changing players. Um, not necessarily sure that we knew it was going to be Detroit in that situation. And things happen in the draft where – um, you go in different directions based on the players taken in front of you. And so I, th I think once that happened, um, obviously um, we knew DeAndre. We know him for a long time. I mean, this is a Philly kid that we knew when he was in high school, as a high school player at St. Joe's Prep, followed him at Georgia, um, you know, and then uh, we saw him firsthand last year in the first game of the season, uh, what kind of player he could be. And so just trying to figure out a win-win situation for us in the Lions, and, and hopefully it works out that way for both teams. You're on a tight schedule today, and I fully intend to respect it. But I got a couple more minutes before I let you go. What can you tell me about how the Jonathan Gannon tampering situation came to be? 
How did you find out about it? Yeah, I think I think for for me personally, obviously, uh, extremely appreciative of JG and his contributions to our football team. You know, helped us win the NFC. Um, you know that that was handled as we discussed before at the ownership level. And um, I think the more we look in the past, the less focused we are on the future. And so for for me, um, that's over with. You know, wish him well in Arizona, and we're moving on. Did you guys actually make a complaint, or was this the Cardinals raising their hand saying we realize we screwed up? I'm really appreciative of JG's contributions, helping us win the NFC. And uh, that was handled at the ownership level. And I think we need to move on. And, um, you know, the less we focus on the past, the better we'll be in the future. You're doing did a good I say job. Reading? Line the same time twice. Cause I don't think I did. Can you I just, know, no, you got it. You got it right. Your talking points are on point, but Thank you. do you not realize that answers like that make people like me think there's a hell of a lot more to this than anyone is ever going to tell us. And it was a much bigger deal than anyone ever let it on to be. Don't, don't you well, see that as a If I was making conclusion? a list of top five conspiracy theorists around the National Football League, you would be on, I don't know that you'd be one. I don't, I don't want to appoint you as one, but you would definitely be top five. You're deflecting. You're deflecting. Should it not be taken as a surprise that the announcement was made minutes before round one began? Didn't you even chuckle at that? Good Lord, they're announcing this to the world literally minutes before the draft starts. It, it is possible that's when resolution came, right? Well, I guess that's possible. Is that when? Is that when it came? Again, I don't want to get into any details, but I'm saying there are answers for some of your conspiratorial, is that the word? Conspiratorial theories. Well, that's good. It's good that I got something out of you. I thought you were just going to read the talking points again. We have about 30 seconds. Do you want to read the talking points one more time? I feel like there's sarcasm involved in that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Howie, I'll let you go. Nice fake brick. I have fake brick up in my studio, but I am surrounded by real rock down well, here. I, I do have a question for you. Are any room. of those pots or any of those glasses ever used or are they just con props? You got a lot of stuff going on that's just for show. No, they're actual there for use. They just rarely get used. This is a, a working portion of the house, but the only work that's ever done is me sitting here talking to folks like I you. Picture, I thank you. I picture, I picture your family. That's like your bunker. You know, if anything's coming bad, they're all going down to that bunker area right there. You're absolutely right. There's a safe, a giant safe walk-in that's just around the corner that would be the place that we go to if there's ever a code red or a code black or whatever code is for get the hell out and go, you know, save your ass. I personally, over this kind of softer time during the summer, I would love to see a Mike Florio Cribs. I'd, I'd love to see that, you know, like with with your cars, through Come your down. house. Come I would down. Love Come down. It's not that far. Come down and we can talk about Jonathan Gannon. <laughs> Thanks for having me, my man. See ya. See ya.
Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.